0: online, it's not really a website, you know, it's, it's an online version of your store. So even though it's easy to just get started and feel like, hey, I have, I have I've set up my website, I have something, right? But honestly speaking, you have to step back, look at a brick and mortar experience and how to actually bring a bunch of those experiences online.
1: You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Let's face it, it has never been easier for a brand to get its footing online. Whether it be through marketplaces, social media, or even live shopping apps, entrepreneurs and budding brands alike have a lot of tools at their disposal to get their footing start to build their audience, and get their brand out there. But the reality is brands can only go so far until they really need to invest in their e-commerce experience. This is where the haves and have-nots come into play because smaller brands only have so much budget and so much capital at their disposal that it feels like their experiences are always going to lag behind, especially when we look at these big retail brand behemoths. That's where companies like Mason come into play. So Mason is a no-code automation engine for commerce and its co-founder, Kasambi Manjita, is really helping brands determine what is required for e-commerce success today. So first things first, I wanted to understand what no-code automation really was, how it makes a difference for these up-and-coming brands, and most of all, how it inspires e-commerce innovation, whether that be through testing and iterating upon the experience, getting access to the right data, getting access to the right capabilities, and figuring out how to craft an experience that is truly immersive. I'll be honest, this is a space I had no idea existed before finding Mason and digging into the business. So I'm learning along with you all today. So listen in, Kasambi has a lot of interesting perspectives as an entrepreneur and as someone who is studying e-commerce every day. Kasambi, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's great to meet you. Lovely to be on
0: the show. Thank you so much for having me, Alicia.
1: So you are the co-founder and CEO of Mason, a no-code automation engine for commerce. How did you get on this path to co-founder and entrepreneur? I always love digging into these founding stories.
0: Yeah. Honestly speaking, every co-founder, founder, entrepreneur, entrepreneur at heart that you speak to will eventually tell you that, hey, you know what? I've been somewhat of an entrepreneur for a while in my life. And I think there's always that streak of creating something, making something. A lot of makers end up being entrepreneurs for that very fact. And I think the journey was very similar for me. I've uh, been making things in some way or the other. I've literally had my own food blog. I dabbled in a jewelry subscription business. And I've been building products for close to in a decade and a half now, Uh, first in IBM Commerce. uh, Then I came back to India, worked at Mintra, which is like a Walmart subsidiary and an Alibaba subsidiary uh, called Paytm. So in some way or the other making things. And I think it was just natural that when the business side of things started exciting me too, which is not just building and putting it out there, but actually growing it. And how do you become a sustainable business? I think it was a natural transition to, hey, like, I think I want to step out and actually do something on my own too. I love that. I always love hearing how creative
1: minds and doers, so to speak, ultimately get into that building of a business because it does require a bit of a mind shift, but it tends to be that people have a firsthand experience or challenge and they think, hey, like, I think I have what it takes to kind of address that challenge or help solve that challenge. So obviously, in this case, we're talking about commerce and e-commerce. So I mean, what did you think was missing from the commerce technology market? What challenges were you trying to address as you were kind of building this vision or strategy
0: behind Mason the business? Yeah, that's a great question. And a lot of times, again, as founders, entrepreneurs, you tend to be quite a bit in the weeds and you have to constantly remind yourself, your team, your partners, your investors, and the world in general, you have to step back and keep reminding all of us of what was the initial vision that we started with and where are we with respect to that vision, right? So for me and my co-founder, we both honestly equally started it together and we both Met at the Walmart subsidiary we were working on. We were solving the problem of growth and building a growth stack for the group, right? And it was about headless commerce and automation and RPAs and kind of like putting together all these systems which help the revenue teams, the business teams to grow and grow across channels, grow specifically in their online store, right? I think somewhere along the line, both of us kind of looked at each other and we were like, hey, we're building this stack for the top 1% of the world. This is literally the top 1% of the world, right, of the retail world. And when we kind of turn around and look at the rest of the 99% of the retail and e-commerce world, the problems are exactly the same. Everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants to become a sustainable, independent business. Nobody wants to sell out to a trash show, right? When you start a retail business, you're hoping that at some point you are a big brand or you're consolidated into a big family of brands. And they're unable to because even though people like us who have a lot of experience in commerce are building great growth stacks, for the top 1% of the retail world, the rest of the 99% don't have access to people like us. And they, of course, find it super hard to implement the technologies that are needed for them to grow and be independent. So yeah, I mean, both of us decided that at some, I think somewhere both of us are makers, as I said at the beginning, and we were too excited, like we jumped with joy with the whole idea of, hey, let's get out and actually help other makers become sustainable business. So there was that echo of very similar journey that we felt we could help others with.
1: I think you raised some really good points that I I want to dig a little bit deeper into because what I find most interesting about the retail industry today, and I guess more specifically the retail tech industry, is that it seems like they're, the entry point for brands like is a little bit lower. It's a little bit easier for brands to get their footing or get their start at least, especially thanks to new capabilities through social commerce, through live shopping. Like We saw a lot of really powerful cases of mom-and-pop shops, like up-and-coming brands that were able to reach consumers on a much broader scale thanks to these tools. But it seems like that can lead to some growth, but like you still need an e-commerce presence, right? Like you still need like a scalable e-commerce platform in order to bring your business to the next level. So it seems like you're saying, and I kind of want you to expand upon this a little bit, that there are a few barriers to entry when you kind of get to that point. Am I getting that right? I mean, it seems like there are still challenges for these up and coming brands as they attempt to scale or reach that next level of growth? I mean, why do you think that is? Because like there are so many new solutions out there, there are so many new capabilities and opportunities, but it still seems like there are some challenges that brands are facing.
0: Absolutely. And the biggest challenge that brands worldwide are facing today is the challenge of growth. I mean, step back, right? You look at CAC is shooting through the roof. (laughs) It's like super hard. Today, an average B2B SaaS CAC is about $500. And honestly, retail is not very far behind, right? And back to shooting through the roof, you are trying to spend and spending a lot of money to get customers to your online store, right? But your store doesn't work that well because an average store today has a conversion rate of about 1%. That's one of every 100 visitors to your store is actually ending up buying something from you, right? And that's the core challenge that teams face today. Yes, it is super easy. In fact, it is easier than it was ever before, not just thanks to social commerce and live streams, but also because of companies like Shopify or Wix or tons of other e-commerce platforms that are out there. It's so much easier for you to come online, to set up your initial store, right? But the bottleneck starts coming up when you are scaling and when you're growing. So growth is becoming a problem. And I think there are three primary reasons why. One is that because the barrier to entry to get online is so low, there are more and more brands and creators who become brands, right? I mean, I have a number here and I've quoted it a couple of times. Last year on Shopify alone, there were about 20,000 fashion brands monthly just in the U.S. coming online. That's a crazy number. And it just means that there's that much competition out there. And on the flip side, I mean, here I'm talking about just new brands, but on look at the other side. Big retail is big online today, right? They're not thinking omni-channel just as a terminology. They're literally living it and breathing it. And anybody from a an Nordstrom to a Walmart have super strong online presence. And they can spend the bucks right? So the number one thing is that it's, it's super competitive. So of course, growth is hard. The second thing is that online, it's not really a website, you know, it's, it's an online version of your store. So even though it's easy to just get started and feel like, hey, I have, I have I've set up my website, I have something, right? But honestly speaking, you have to step back, look at a brick and mortar experience and how to actually bring a bunch of those experiences online. Right. It's about helping your customers find the right products, compare them, select them, know more, try in the online world version of trying those products. Knowing what other products to buy along with it. Does it go with my current stuff that I have in my house? So there's a lot of these things, decisions that a buyer has to make before he actually trusts you enough to buy from you. So it's not just an online website and that's one of the second reason and I think a really core fundamental problem in retail today is that people still tend to think of it as a website. It's not. It's an online store, right? So these, I think, are the two primary gaps that's leading to this like really hard problem of stagnating growth.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really important distinction, right? Because when I speak with other e-commerce professionals and those that are kind of helping build solutions and guide brands in terms of their overall strategy, right? Whether it be for commerce or just omni-channel engagement, it's like, okay, this site is fine, it functions all right, but is it meaningful to your consumer base? Is it, like you said, tied efficiently and effectively to your in-store experience? Is it representative of the brand that your consumers are expecting? And like, we've been hearing so much about this concept of community driven commerce and on social media, you're building your community, but that's essentially rented land, right? Like you want to get people to your core hub, so to speak, where they can be fully immersed in your community experience, fully immersed in your content and your service, all of those things that make your brand stand out. But looking at the capital and funding that large enterprise retailers get versus these up and coming businesses, there's obviously that really big gap there. So, but let's dig in specifically to the role that Mason is attempting to play in helping these companies scale and build their growth strategy. I do want to ask, you know, just at a foundational level, what is no code automation? What is the value prop? there because you know I did some research but obviously you're you're living and breathing this every day so you'll probably add some greater context and color into what it me- really means and what the implications are
0: absolutely thanks for asking that question actually again I'll tie it back to the conversation that we were having around the gaps in retail today in growing in retail and why is it hard to grow and mower automation actually unbottlenecks two primary constructs there right one is that As I said, it's super hard to actually grow online because growth needs you to have access to certain technology stacks too. Growth is not just about setting up, as I said, a site, right? It is about actually running strategies every single day, doing experimentation, knowing your data enough to be able to take the next set of decisions that impact conversions in your store, building better content, building great experience across your store funnel. So there's a lot of these things that have to come together, which is data, experiences, right? And also design to an extent, right? Because it's also about how do you really package your brand and your story back to your customers, right? And all of this is backed by heavy experimentation. So it's, it's clearly a lot of technology staff involved, right? And as I said, it's, this sort of technology that's needed, if I just zoom out and look at it, it's like a mix of headless and automations and a ton of in-depth knowledge about the space. Now let's break it down. Let's go into the technology part of it, which is your headless and automations, et cetera, right? So a large company, let's take for an example, even in all they actually have those stats, custom forged in-house, right? But Imagine you are a 10 million GMB or maybe even a 5 million GMB company, right? Even if you're 20, your core, whether you'll succeed or not, that core success will happen if you iterate and you grow real fast. So being dynamic and being quick and being iterative and and super fast is very, very important to success. And imagine implementing an archaic automation headless stack with tons of developers, designers, consultants, all coming into the picture. It's a six to nine months process. That's just not the timeline that you have in in your hand at all, right? Because it's too much heavy investment and you have to have to make it work. So what you need is access to lightweight solutions, which help you to get started right now, right? And if you can get started right now, then you can experiment faster. And of course, because of that, you can grow fast right? So that is the technology part of it. The second part of it is the strategies, which is the in-depth knowledge of what kind of these e-commerce strategies do I need to run. Large teams, of course, have learned that over years. They have access to the best talent in the market, blah, blah. Now for a zoom back again into a 5, 10 or 20 million GMB company and a brand, they have tons of access to, of course, open source YouTube videos and content and blogs and a lot of evangelists or CRO experts talking about like, hey, you should do A, B, C. You should always use customer reviews. You should always do uh, trust, build trust in your store, et uh, But these are all Content, right? They're not actionable. So even if someone says that, hey, your bestseller should always be fresh, it should always reflect the real bestsellers that are there in your catalog, right? You should look at our data, you should look at all the orders, you should pull out the best, top, fresh bestsellers. Imagine implementing it. It's a three day process. Someone has to, and we're talking about brand owners. He's not a data scientist, but he has to figure out the, how do I now understand data orders? Mm, Okay, these are my best sellers. Now I got to repackage it, right? Make it look good. And then, oh, wow, I even got to publish it back into my store. So it's a lot of work. It's added work that to operate your store and keep it fresh and engaging, which you could have probably spent in building your story or building your community or, you know, doing better branding, right? Or picking up better products. So, Automation is where these expertise can actually, and all the benchmarks and the guidelines and the blueprints of this is how you should operate your store, that gets taken care of, right? So that's fundamentally what no-code automation is. I mean, I think for any industry, what no-code and automation does is that It helps you go live fast, experiment super fast, and it takes away the everyday operations so that you can focus on the right things.
1: Got it. So combining this with some of our earlier talking points around those challenges with growth and scale for these up and coming brands, it's essentially a superpower for these business owners or these smaller teams that need a little bit of a jump start they need extra time extra resources extra extra horsepower so to speak right to run all these tests and do all the research they need to determine like the next best actions for their e-commerce site is that a fair way to kind of distill how it helps reduce those barriers to entry those barriers to scale that we were
0: talking about earlier absolutely and add a third component there which is it saves you money. Always good. <laughs> Always good, right? Like, it's, it, look at the economy right now. I mean, we were just picking up and then zoomed down again, right? So you can't really rely on a lot of investor money or money from the market to constantly fuel your growth, right? You have to make your operations as streamlined as possible so that you can grow sustainably. You can become a real business, right? I'm just stepping back and looking at just into Shopify, Today teams use about 10 to 12 conversion specific apps just to in every store, like tons of our customers, you dig down into their you know day-to-day operations, you talk to them about what they're using, ten to twelve different apps just to do like one will do back in stock, one will do best sellers. And I'm talking like nitty-gritty baseline e-commerce stuff strategies right so it's it's a cost and it just helps you become more sustainable faster
1: yeah i think that's a really important point because we're seeing so many financial results, especially from these fast-growing direct-to-consumer players that have all of these aggressive growth goals because that's what their investors want from them, right? They want to see that growth continue. But behind the scenes or underneath the hood, there are all of these issues around like, okay, this growth isn't sustainable or it requires even more investment. So that scale between spend and actual revenue or profit, it's off kilter. So I think right now a lot of these up-and-coming brands that are looking for funding or are trying to figure out where that next stage of growth is going to come from, I think it's probably a little nerve wracking for them right now. So I do want to ask you, so you brought up some of the core fundamentals, I guess you could say, of an e-commerce experience, like spotlighting your best sellers and spotlighting like new inventory, like all of these core capabilities. And we're at this point where honestly, sometimes the core elements aren't enough, right? Like you need to add something valuable or different to your online shopping experience in order to stand out. Or once that acquisition happens, get people to come back time and time again. So I want to ask you, because I'm sure a lot of your work is connecting with clients or just studying what's happening in the industry, seeing who's like the best of the best, right? So are there any new elements or components that you think are Driving that maximum engagement and revenue potential, like any key things that you would say, like, okay, if you're going to focus on something beyond the fundamentals, like, these are the things to focus on right now.
0: Actually, I I love this question. I I think I love every question you've asked, Alicia, but definitely this one the most. (laughs) I just, we just wrapped up a nine day series of live streams with the top CRO experts uh, focusing on e-commerce and, you know, every day we were speaking about like, what is it that, and they're working. I mean, we of course are a product and a platform and we do work with scale because by virtue of being a product, you end up working with a lot of different customers, but, you know, experts are the guys who are like working very deeply with, even if they're working with 10 customers, they're working super deeply. Right. And interestingly two. Actually, three interesting highlights came out and I was quite surprised about the first two. The, the third one I have actually seen, right? So today, and let's go one by one. The first one is that today, customer reviews is like just hygiene. That's not a differentiator anymore. People, they just expect reviews to be there, positive or negative. It's irrelevant, right? Uh, of course, like they trust you a little bit more if you have positive, more positive reviews, etc. But still, there's this question of, Did they incentivize the reviews? Because people have been incentivized themselves, right? So there's this is just hygiene. That's not a deal breaker. But what is becoming a very interesting way to showcase the value, to highlight the value of the product that you're selling? Better is a guide, right? And stay with me here. I'll give an example of like one specific industry, one brand, and what do they mean by guides, right? So there's this brand called Gold. And they are about superfoods, right? And you were talking about supercharging. So this is like a superfood brand. And they have all these amazing different matcha and acai and whatever else. And I'm probably not even naming the cool stuff that they have. But, you know, they have the testimonial somewhere. But their front and center highlight on their homepage is actually recipes to build with their superfoods, right? And it's like a set of guides, a how-to guides to build this like very interesting set of like morning smoothies and you know your go to on the go kind of stuff that you can take with you how to add superfoods to your coffee or how to implement superfoods for you know people with IBS or this that it was very and they are apparently seeing a lot of specific engagement and conversions with that section on their homepage Right. And I was very interested to hear that because like product guides, you don't really, you think of it as a social media strategy. You don't really think of it as a conversion strategy in your store. Right. But then we zoomed out and we looked at a bunch of other brands and yeah, actually like folks in beauty are using guides on how to use, how to apply a regime. Right. What are the ingredients within my products? So there's like a set of guides there. Electronic goods products, which are uh, teams, brands who are selling gadgets, etc. They are using how-tos. They have traditionally always been using how-tos, right? In fact, in fashion and apparel, people are using how-tos and guides to showcase like how to pair stuff together, how to build a look. How do you wear this jacket five ways? Right. So this is one like this is the number one very, very interesting strategy that I'm seeing now, which is seems to be driving a ton of conversions. I don't have the metrics yet. That's something that I really want to dig down into. And probably the next time we speak, I can pull out more information on that.
1: I love that. I think we're hearing so much about like the convergence of content and commerce, but it's not like, oh, here's a blog about our new products and why they're so
0: great. It's more about like how to use. So I think that's a great trend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's engaging too. Like you kind of like hanging out at the brand and looking through that, right? The second thing that I'm seeing, and that also came out during our event that I was talking about the live streams. And AJ Davis, one of the Sierra experts I was speaking to, we were doing a live teardown. And bang in the middle of it, she said, Hey, something's not right with this brand. And then she said, You know what? It doesn't have a story. They're not like building in their story of why should I use this brand and their products, right? And she had a very interesting way of suggestions of implementing that story across the homepage and PDP, etc. And then when I started looking around, I do see a lot of teams, in fact, with all the top teams, if you open 1-800-D2C or The Fascination, you'll actually see pretty much all the brands doing that. And that's actually building the brand story as almost like a widget with like, badges, stickers, call-outs that like call the brand story out in a very, very fun way, right? So for example, this brand goal they actually were calling out why you should use their superfoods versus other. Others by talking about organic and, you know, that GMO-free and single origin, et cetera, right? And, and it shows the differentiation of their superfoods versus others, for example. And they had that whole lovely widget and section and little icons and stickers Throughout their buying journey, just to remind you, literally, even at the checkout. So, as you are checking out and you are like, should I still continue with it? Should I like go close the deal? They're again reminding you that this is why you chose us in the first place because we are A B C D E, right? So that's the second interesting strategy that I'm seeing. And the third is very tried and tested, but I'm seeing a different rendition of it, is essentially just highlights and call-outs on your product listings. So, again, if your product is on sale, uh, you know, calling out that it's on sale for like last uh, two hours or calling out a bestseller and saying that hey, typically it runs out in like seven days and all these like little nudges and call outs on your products. It's always been there. It's been used for a while. But the thing we are seeing differently today in the industry is that it's very well designed and Really great experience, and it's not just a standard like rectangle at the corner of your product listing anymore. It's something that people are using, putting a lot of thought and actually experimenting to see like would 100% organic or vegan work for me. So they're actually running A B tests and experiments to see which of these call outs work too. So, very data driven approach and a design and experience, but backed by data approach to actually calling out USBs of the product. So, yeah, so three things. That we're seeing very differently today. One is how to's. Second is actually calling out your brand story across with something as simple as just a set of icons or stickers. And second is using a very data backed approach to build, to understand what experience works for you when you're trying out something as simple as uh, stickers or highlights or badges on your product listings. I
1: think those are some great elements that really speak to. The fact that consumers are looking for something more, something a bit more contextual when they're shopping online. I think it's easy to just say, like, hey, consumers just care about price and assortment, making sure that they have as much product options as possible and at the best price. I mean, that's why they go to places like Amazon, right? But when we dig deeper into what gets people excited about a brand or their products, I feel like at this point, they're looking for something a little bit more meaningful and a bit more entertaining. And maybe I'm just saying this as a as a content creator and as someone who is always looking for like the story behind the brand and the story behind the product. But I do think in general, because we're in this age of access, right, like we have access to so much information, so many product options, so many brand options, right, That it takes something really special or some sort of spark or connection with a brand that gets them excited and ultimately drives that loyalty, which I think every brand is focusing on right now. So, I mean, to that end, I mean, what are your thoughts on like... How the requirements or the keys to e-commerce design success or strategy success will change as this age of access continues, right? Like, do you think we are going to be seeing more brands focus on these three core elements that you were talking about earlier, that they're going to dig a little bit deeper into their strategy beyond just
0: price product, you know, the five P's, so to speak? They have to, because again, we kind of touched upon that at the very beginning. is shooting through the roof and you're the only leverage that you have to actually really tweak and grow and rapidly grow your business is your customer lifetime value. And that will not happen simply because you're giving them a discount of 10 or 15%, right? You can't get into a price war and expect to become the top brand that they come back to again and again and again. They have to, and I totally am with you when you were talking about this whole, they have to connect with the brand. We have to connect with brands, right? You and I, Alicia, we will be b- buying things from any brand that we don't feel connected to. If their story or how they curate or build their products or where do the ingredients come from, right? And those things are so important specifically today for all of us. And specifically for Gen Z, it's even more important, right? If you are unable to connect and learn about the brand and feel like you are a part of that brand success, then you are not going to come back to that brand again. You're just another product on Amazon's shelf. And the next time there's another product at a cheaper price, people might just forget about it, or will, they really do forget about you, right? So the only way you can optimize your customer lifetime value, grow sustainably, and become an independent business that's not selling out the thrashios of the world, then you have to have to build your story, build your experience, and give consumers what the best top-line, fresh, engaging, relevant stores that they have come to expect.
1: Of brands everywhere. Love that. Really great way, I think, to close out the conversation because obviously we're hearing more consumers say they want to go back to stores, they want to get out and about. But I think e-commerce, even though growth has stabilized a bit, it is continuing. And brands, I think, especially those smaller and, and emerging brands are looking for better ways to stand out and develop their growth playbook, so to speak. So I think this conversation gave folks a lot to chew on and and think about. So Kasambi, thank you so much for taking the time out to join me today.
0: I really loved your questions. And I think, I hope that this conversation actually uh, sparks that seed of thought that, hey, like how do I really become a sustainable business? And as people are going out there, convenience is not the reason they'll buy from you. And I think all of us need to kind of remember that.
1: Absolutely. Some really great pointers there and a lot of great takeaways throughout our conversation. So to that end, folks listening, really hope you enjoyed our chat today. If you do have any follow-up questions for us, please drop us a line on Twitter at our touchpoints or on LinkedIn at retail touchpoints. We're all about making connections and continuing the conversations that start on the pod. So leave them there. We'll make sure Kasambi follows up with you and that hopefully it can lead to a more deep dive conversation that aligns with your brand. And of course. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a rating and review on your preferred podcast player and subscribe. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, frankly, anywhere else we are likely there. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.